You're listening to the Armchair Cricket Podcast. Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Armchair Cricket Podcast. A podcast focusing on test cricket by armchair critics of the game. My co-host Giridhar has been unavoidably detained elsewhere, so I'll be your host for today. Continuing with our World Cup digests, covering latest matches and news. In today's digest, we wanted to cover the match between Pakistan and Sri Lanka that was to be played at Bristol. But as we are aware, this match has been rained out without a single ball being bowled. So in its place, we have a special segment today for you. Going forward, we have a special guest today, Abdullah from the Down the Ground podcast. Hello, Abdullah. Welcome to the show. Hi, Ajit. Thank, thanks for having me on the show. It's uh, great. It's the first time I've been part of the Armchair podcast and it's great to collaborate with you guys. So, it, let's uh, get into discussing the World Cup. And I think we have a lot to discuss. Indeed. So, um, uh, we are also very happy to have you on the show. And indeed, uh, previously, we've also uh, collaborated with your colleague Arham from Down the Ground. And it has been a real pleasure to have another one of you back on the show. Thank you very yeah, much. You. All right. So if you were to look at uh, how Pakistan has been doing at the World Cup, uh, let's just quickly look at their performances. So uh, their first match, they lost uh, against West Indies, uh, where they were 105 all out. But in the next match, they were able to bounce back and beat England comprehensively. Uh, the match that was scheduled for uh, yesterday, the match between Pakistan and Sri Lanka, was washed out without a single ball being bowled due to rain at Bristol. So, from an overall perspective, uh, what do you say about uh, how Pakistan are doing, Abdullah? I think uh, the first match was a disaster, but the second match was it was a good comeback by Pakistan, but. Uh, the washout against Sri Lanka could prove to be quite costly because Pakistan has a very strong record against Sri Lanka in World Cups. I believe it's uh, 7-0, 7 wins, 0 losses. So this is the first time Sri Lanka have actually managed to avoid a loss to Pakistan in World Cups. So mm. the additional point would have been very useful because there's a cup, there's some strong teams that Pakistan has to play next. The next two matches are against Australia and India. Right. So overall, I think the the first match was a disaster, mainly I feel due to nerves and uh, due to not being able to cope with the situation and not adapting quickly enough. But right. the second match, in the second match, it was a good display and also helped by some poor a poor display by England in the field. Pakistan mm. pulled off a victory, which was very commendable. Yeah. But I feel that the Sri Lanka loss, was, uh, the Sri Lanka no result is quite a setback. Of course. Uh, well, I mean, uh, first of all, I think um, breaking the way the 10-11 uh, match uh, losing sequence was broken by Pakistan is really commendable. Right, and that too, they upset the form book. Right, they beat the form team or the most favorite team in the World Cup are currently England, and they beat them fairly comfortably. It must be said. Look, for me, uh, England were a bit uh, odd in the field. They were not really comfortable. It was visible, but that was mainly because of the way Pakistan batted. Because um, you know, in that match, uh, Mohammad Hafiz played a very special innings. He he had one drop catch, but that 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 goes your way on your day. You know, you get a 
lucky break and he got that and he made the most of it uh, babar azam played a really good innings that day and imamul haq and fakar zaman had set a nice platform right but for me uh, one of the key roles was played by safraz ahmed he was not looking comfortable at all but he made sure that um, he kept the score rate uh, scoring rate up and kept turning the sc- uh, scoring rate over with hafiz and even with asif ali and others because even though he did not look really comfortable he was not looking to uh, you know get all his strokes off the middle of the bat and he, he was a bit iffy but it doesn't matter because he kept the scoring rate up there and that's why england were under pressure so i would like to credit the pakistani batting lineup there right and when it comes to the bowling i was really happy to see that pakistan fire of old the fast bowling fire of old with wahab riaz and amir you know going into the last five overs even though england stood a chance they had hitters and everything somehow you know it felt that this pakistan will not give up the match and they didn't so it was fantastic to see that so i would like to definitely say you know the way they rolled back it was a really good performance from pakistan don't you think so yeah it was definitely a team performance everyone everyone stood up and played their part and it was there was no one player who who's made a big 100 or took a five or something right. it was a very it was a very complete performance uh, in all facets they were in fielding there were couple of missed chances like babar azam dropping a catch but overall it was a much better display than they've put up in recent times and more that more towards what we know this team is capable of it's actually a quite a decent fielding unit but since steve rickson's departure they have been a little they've fallen by the wayside a little but it's much improved in the last game and hopefully it keeps improving further Indeed. Similarly, with the batting, uh, I think that the batsmen played their roles well. They took responsibility, and when one wicket fell, then the next batsman ca- came in and he played his part, and that continued throughout the innings, which enabled Pakistan to get to a very large total. Despite only Muhammad Hafiz making 84, and then the next highest score was 60 odd. so everyone mm. played a role and like you said sarfaraz sarfaraz's innings down the order was also crucial because asif ali failed after he fell after making just a few runs so those mm-hmm. 50 from uh, sarfaraz were crucial and that uh, enabled the sloggers at the end to come and to make quick fire 20s or 20s and 10s or whatever so that mm-hmm. dragged the score out to a total beyond what england were probably comfortable chasing because uh, post match pakistan from the pakistan side they were saying that they were com- they were aiming for a total of 340 so they were okay. comfortable they were very comfortable with a total of 348 they felt that they had achieved a total that was defendable and then the mm-hmm. bowlers of course they played their part with uh, everyone chipping in all the bowlers bowled well even hasan ali didn't pick up any wickets he had he bowled a pretty good spell in the middle overs and kept the runs down and uh, hafiz malik and also picked up crucial wickets while amir and wahab were impressive as well so mm-hmm. yeah overall a very good team performance and need more of these performances to beat teams like uh, australia and india who will be very tough opponents to deal with for pakistan for sure so uh, yeah when it comes to the bowling you've already created amir and wahab for sure i would also like to credit um, shadab khan the other spinner right i think he did a wonderful job in the middle overs so yeah, for example yeah. root getting I forgot, out was... i forgot shadab but yeah you're right he had a very crucial role to play 
Indeed. Now, the way he got, first of all, Jason Roy out at the beginning, mm-hmm. and also mm-hmm. uh, the way he worked Root out. So, if you remember what happened in the tour, I think there were five dot balls in the fifth ball, Root yeah. was out. Right? So, yeah. that was purely down to the way Shada bowled to get him out, and of course, a bit of good field placing. Uh, knowing that the cut will go a bit finer or a bit squarer, that was nicely done there. So, that's how he took the wicket there. So, also I thought, um, you know, Sarfras as a skipper can be given a bit of credit. He had the right people bowling at the right time and the bowlers were sort of empowered. They were not afraid to go for the runs because there was enough of a total. But also, you know, they they were really looking for wickets there. They knew that there's not a lot um, that uh, this England team can't, uh, you know, will will not be able to chase down. So Yeah, you just have to keep wickets. going at them and looking for wickets. Otherwise, they can chase or score any amount of runs. Precisely, precisely. Indeed. So that was indeed a wonderful comeback. Now, uh, well, a couple of uh, things that I thought I could bring up. One is uh, Imamul Haq and his. Uh, you know, I think he has a love-hate relationship with the Pakistani fans, right? I think uh, they hate him and he loves them or whatever. So he's called Parchi. Unfortunately, it's not a nice uh, term to be associated with because it's not his fault. He's the chief selector's nephew, but he's done his bit, I would say. Do you think he deserves his place in the Pakistani team right now? and Or are there any better um, alternatives that you think could have been in the squad? Well, this is quite a heavy topic. But I do feel that once a player has put up performances like Imam Unhak has, then you have, to, you have to provide a very solid reason for criticizing him or for wanting him out of the team. And I think that most of his critics lack that solid foundation upon which they can build an argument because the fact is that Pakistan's previous openers uh, if we look back to for example the 2015 World Cup where in the first match against India Pakistan opened the batting with a disastrous opening pair of Ahmed Shahzad and Yunus Khan so you have to appreciate where Pakistan has come four years later four years onwards in terms of the batting, and even though Imam al-Haq's strike rate may not be like, uh, for example, Jason Roy or some some of those big-hitting batsmen who are opening the batting nowadays, for mm. a team like Pakistan, which is quite reliant on its top order, having a batsman who can, who can bat for a good amount of time and who can churn out the runs at a consistent rate right. and do so... Without, it's not like he's striking in the 70s. He his strike rate is around 80, so it's mm. not quite at an optimum level. It's not where it should be, and he has room for improvement. But based on that little difference, for example, Babar Azam strikes at around 85. So based right. on that little difference, you cannot you cannot say that he shouldn't be in the team and that others should be in the team until you provide an alternative. And currently, I don't see any alternative who can play the same role at, as successfully as he is doing so. We had Shajil Khan before, who was um, what you'd call a modern-day opener. Since right. his return to the Pakistan team, he was averaging around 40 and striking at 130, which is... Right which is really quite impressive and comparable to the top openers that there are nowadays in ODI cricket. Mm. But the fact is that Pakistan do not have a similar player of that caliber. Uh, Most of the players who top the charts in domestic cricket are players who have been given a chance in ODI cricket and have failed. And then there are some with 
poor techniques, poor temperament, and there's no real standout option to replace Imam. So I All think right. that I think that in terms of his performances, he definitely deserves his spot. And people who criticize him should look for answers rather than just throw out uh, criticism without any solution. Like. My criticism of Imam Al-Haq is always that he needs to rotate the strike more in the first 10 overs. He needs to find more avenues of hitting boundaries because he relies too much on charging out against the pacers and slogging. Right. So these are criticisms right. that he can, these are things that he can work on. But simply saying, Pachi this and Pachi that and he should be out of the team and Inzamam is his uncle or whatever. That's not constructive and it's not helpful in any way. Agreed. Agreed. So I take it you're in the camp that uh, he deserves his place. And of course, as everybody else, he can improve. That's that's not going to stop, right? That's right. Definitely. So, all right. The next topic I wanted to discuss with you is, you know, uh, the middle or middle order balance, right? So usually um, you have uh, at number four, you would have somebody like Hafiz, a more experienced batter, right? Or you may have somebody like Harry Sohel, who's done a reasonably good job in the middle order as well, right? He's batted at three, he's batted at four. But with Babar coming back, I think Babar deserves his place at three. So the top three is sort of set. But in the middle to lower middle order, you have options like, well, either Shoaib Malik can play or somebody like Asif Ali may play. Because if Shoaib Malik doesn't play, somebody like Imad Wasim may be fitted into the squad. So what is your thought on this? I think it's quite, uh, this is quite uh topic of contention amongst Pakistani fans because no one really has a set has a set uh, thought process about this people have different solutions i think what pakistan needs to do is to keep it a little flexible and to play against and to have a middle or a lower middle order based on the opposition and the conditions so for example shaib malik played against england because he provided an extra off spinning option uh, and England have a lot of left-handers, as we know, in the middle order. And he was—he got the man of the match from the previous game, uh, Ben Stokes. Ben Stokes mm-hmm. was England's man of the match in their first match, and he got him out cheaply. Mm-hmm. So that was that was a good tactical move, and also he does provide some calmness on the field. But you have yeah. to look at you have to look at the opposition and see what the chances are of someone like Shaib Malik doing well. So, right. for example, against Australia and India, Australia do not have that many left-handers in their middle order and neither do India. And both are very pace-heavy. They're both, well, not pace-heavy, India spinners as well. But both mm. uh, both have a good group of pacers. And Shweb Manek has been very suspect against good pace bowling throughout his career. So I don't think it would be wise to play him against teams like Australia and India. So in the next few games, mm-hmm. so you have to look at the strength and weakness of the lineup and and the opposition and base your lineup based on the on on the conditions and the opposition. Of course. So how about Imad Wasim? I mean, I think he also brings an all-round quality and sort of a finishing skill to the end of the. Uh, innings, but uh, they also say he's a bit susceptible against the slower, uh, rather the shortest bowling, isn't it? Yeah, Imad Wasim is uh, an interesting case. If you look at his statistics in ODIs, his batting looks very, it looks very good because he has good statistics. But if you dig deeper, then 
you'll find that if he was ever needed to step up in a large chase, he has largely failed. And right. he has not really played many innings of note. Like, for example, most teams around the world in their lower order have batsmen who can strike at 120, 140, something like that. I think Imad Wasim is more suited to batting in the middle order. And that's a problem with Pakistan because we don't really have anyone besides Asif Ali who is suited to batting in the lower order and who can slog and get runs at the... In, in the death overs, so we have to rely more on the conventional batsman to do the job. So, for Imad Wasim, it's a bit of a puzzler, and I think he was benched because his bowling has been quite uh, toothless recently, so he hasn't been picking up any wickets, especially not against good teams. He has a history of picking up wickets against West Indies, who struggle against spin and weaker teams like that, but against stronger teams, his he doesn't spin the ball really, so they have they tend to find ways to deal with him. And then his batting becomes crucial and again against stronger teams. It's a little suspect, especially as you mentioned, his uh, capabilities against short bowling. He's quite woeful in that regard. So, right. But still, he's a handy squad option to have. But there's lots of... Uh, lots of combinations that can that can be used if they want to use five bowlers then Imad, and count Imad Wasim as one of them then that's the only option they have for five bowler lineup otherwise they have to go with four bowlers and part-timers like Hafiz Malik and even Haris Sohail who can do a decent job as a fifth bowler Agreed, agreed Alright, um, so the next question I had to put to you was the fast bowling component Right, so the spinners are fairly set with Shadab Khan probably being the first choice spinner, and with Hafiz yes. playing, I think he'll always back him up. So that's always very good, and they offer you know uh, wrist and uh, finger spin options. So yes. then, with the fast bowling component, uh, you have Wahab and uh, Amir playing really well for now, right? And Hassan Ali is going through a bit of a trough. It's not like he's bowling really badly, but. Um, it looks like, you know, he's not up to the best that he can be. That's one thing. Yes. And do you see uh, Hasnain having a role probably in the upcoming matches? Uh, for the fast bowling, I think um, Amir and Wahab have been are mostly playing because of their experience and they bring some level-headedness to, the, to what is otherwise quite a young bowling attack. So they provide some... Uh, some big match temperament. Both Wahab Wahab has uh, Wahab has quite a good record in World Cups, while Amir has always had a pretty good record in big matches. So that's the reason they're playing, and they've both performed pretty well so far. As for Hassan Ali, I think uh, he's going through a rough phase, but I I feel that he's improving, but. At the end of the day, what will matter is wickets in the wickets column. And that's where Hassan Ali has struggled in recent times. He mm-hmm. hasn't really picked up wickets like he was in 2017 around the Champions Trophy. And during that period, in towards the end of 2017, where he became the number one ODI bowler. He's now dropped quite a lot in the rankings. And that's because he hasn't been able to perform consistently. Right, right. So it's quite. Uh, there's two other spacers in the squad: the Shaheen Shah Fridi and Muhammad Hasnain. I mm. think Muhammad Hasnain could have got could have been given a chance yesterday against uh, Sri Lanka because to see how he's going on 
on these tracks and to see what sort of uh, what sort of effect he can have because as we've seen in the first in the matches so far pacers who bowl fast are doing really well like we've seen uh, jo- uh, Jofra Archer and Mitchell Stark and some of these other guys who have quite a bit of pace they've been doing pretty well so right. i was thinking that pakistan might want to include hasnan but i i just feel that the, with the next two matches against australia and india they wouldn't risk throwing in hasnan with uh, considering his lack of experience maybe shahin shafridi might play because he he has uh, he has a little more experience he's played a couple of editions of psl and also he has he has played a few series in terms of odis so he might get a look in but he has been very expensive in england since during the odis against england and even the warm up against afghanistan so maybe he's just been given some time to recover but uh, shahin shah afridi firing on all cylinders would be very good for the pakistan team because he tends to pick up wickets with the new ball something that pakistan are lacking so right. i'm not sure what the combination will be going forward but i'm thinking that with strong teams like australia and india coming up next they will they will try to retain the current group of bowlers all right so uh, that's a very interesting take you have and uh, thanks for providing your uh, inputs for that now uh, looking forward to the matches from pakistan's perspective so they are going to face um, i think first uh, they'll be facing uh, australia so uh, they'll be playing um, australia and then they'll be playing india so on uh, they'll be facing australia on the 17th at taunton and then they'll be uh, facing india um, so what are your thoughts on this uh, how do you see pakistan progressing for the rest of the group stage matches well uh, for the taunton match against australia once again rather disappointingly the, there seems to be a lot of rain forecast so that's quite uh, well it depends on the perspective because some people are happy about that because australia is a strong team and one point would be good but i personally always want to see a cricket match right so i'm hoping we get one we get a match at uh, at taunton taunton is i believe one of the smaller grounds in england but it's also one of the most spin friendly ones so i'm not exactly sure how to read that because while pakistan do have spinners who can strangle australia australia also have the likes of lion and zampa who are both very good spinners and as pakistan showed in the asia cup they are perhaps not so well equipped to deal with spin at the moment the batsmen are little suspect against spin so it could go either way they could if they have a good day they can they can pro, they can do what they did against england and then choke australia or if or it could go it could go the other way and uh, australia spinners could come to the fore and pakistan might struggle so it's it's quite a puzzle i think it will be a good match because australia is a good team and pakistan are on a high right now right but i'm i'm i just hope we get a match in i hope that it isn't rained out like the sri lanka one all right if it were to be a shortened game because of some rain but some was lost to rain and so on what do you think uh, would you then probably favor pakistan or then would australia be the favorites 
I think Australia. I think I'd go with Australia because they have uh, in the likes of uh, David Warner and Maxwell and all these guys. They have a very good. They have a very good lineup for if the match was to be shortened, and they have very good bowlers as well. There's no stand. They're a good team. They're they're not. They don't have a star like. Perhaps like Kohli or or Butler, but they're a very good team overall, and uh, they have a good bowling attack as well. And with Stark able to bowl Yorkers at the death and keep the runs down, and with Cummins being a very impressive bowler in all aspects, I think they'd have an advantage if the match were to be shortened. Right. All right then, and uh, then the marquee clash: India Pakistan. So, whom do you think uh, winning this match, uh, or will it be Rain winning it? What are your thoughts on this? Well, India Pakistan uh, in World Cups, it's usually a safe bet to go with India, <laughs> but right. I'm hopeful that I'm hopeful that that streak will come to an end eventually, and it may happen this year. You never know. I think uh, I think India have some. Uh, have a bit of a weakness in the middle order that can be exploited if you get the top three batsmen out. But getting the top three out itself is quite a task because, uh, like we saw in the previous match, even if two of them fail, Rohit Sharma made a big hundred and he took India home. So getting all three of them is quite a task. And if you don't get all three of them, then they will find a way to put up a big total more often than not. So I think that the key to doing well against India is to bowling well with the new ball and getting wickets up front. Just mm-hmm. like it is with England also, you have to strike early against them and you have to keep picking up wickets. And I think that you have to do the same for India. Mm-hmm. And uh, one, even when you do that, they have a very potent bowling attack with uh, the two spinners and Bumrah providing wicket-taking options pretty much throughout the innings. So Pakistan, I feel feel they do have a chance of beating India, but I feel that they'll have to put in a very, very strong performance in all facets. Uh, With the bat, they would have to get a good start and avoid losing too many early wickets, which is a challenge against the likes of Bumrah. And then they would have to consolidate well in the middle overs and also then provide a good finish. And then the bowlers would have to perform better than they have in the recent past. I believe despite the display against England, the bowlers still have a lot of room for improvement. And Pakistan's uh, bowling overall has been quite poor over the last couple of years. So it would be very important for the bowling to do well if Pakistan were to beat India. All right. I think one way or the other, I'm really hoping there will be a match and Rain doesn't win that day. And may the best team win for that day, right? Uh, And you're probably right. I would also back India going into the match simply because of the history. But, um, you know, on its day, we all know how good Pakistan can be. So that's how I think I'm only expecting a cracker of a match and may the best team win. Right. Yeah, I just hope both teams can hold their nerves. I think India is a very experienced team, so that won't be a problem for them. But Pakistan's team, some of the batsmen are quite young and the bowling attack is also a little on the younger side. So it's really a matter of holding your nerves and being able to execute your skills as per the plan. If you can't do that, then you don't stand a chance. So that's what you 
that's what the players really have to focus on have clarity of mind and be able to play play the match rather than think about too much too much thought about the opposition is ne- not really helpful if you start thinking that they have all these big players then you defeat yourself mentally so you have okay. to go and play it as any other match and you also have to hold your nerves even though that may be difficult with a billion people watching but you have to do what you have to do as a professional sportsman agreed so um well uh, how do you see pakistan really going with the rest of the group stages and rest of the matches of the group stage amount and do you see them qualifying for the semi finals maybe i think that like i mentioned earlier the no result against sri lanka is quite a blow so it basically means pakistan needs to win four of the remaining six games i think that's the equation and that would give them a total of 11 11 points which would put them in a position to qualify based on depending on the other team's results so i i feel that pakistan has to win one of the next two games against india and australia these are two very tough games but mm. with good performances it's possible to win either of them and i really feel that pakistan has to win one of these to be able to mentally be in a frame of mind of qualifying it's not a it's not the 1992 team that you lose all the matches and then you have to win the last four and you do that and like it happened in 1992 i don't think this team is capable of doing that i think they need to win the next one of the next two games to have the confidence and the and the strength of will and character to go into the last uh, four matches that would be remaining and then you need to probably win three of those and then you have a chance of getting to the semi finals and even that is difficult because uh, all the teams are doing pretty well only afghanistan is the team that has really struggled uh, quite uh, quite a lot and also south africa but south africa on their day can also do well right. so bangladesh and new zealand out of the last four matches they would be very tough competitors and so you can counting on your team to win the last four matches if you were to lose these next two ones would be quite a big ask that's why i feel they need to win one of these next two games all right also i mean uh, if you were to look at the overall you know the standing as it stands now the table so new zealand and australia are right on top having won two of their matches and at least new zealand has a really good net run rate as well Sri Lanka are third uh, three matches uh, one win and one uh, no result right Pakistan also shared third but Sri Lanka are third because they have a slightly better net run rate mm-hmm. West Indies uh, have two played and uh, good run rate but uh, have lost one and one one England same India have played one and just one the game and Bangladesh uh, two played one loss one win but they have a uh, just uh, just a positive net run rate very close to zero South Africa and Afghanistan are right at the bottom. South Africa playing three, losing three, and Afghanistan playing two and losing two. So from here, whom do you see as the teams qualifying for the semi-finals? Who are your let's say sure bets? I think uh, I think that first of all, what we need to acknowledge is that this is a very competitive World Cup and perhaps a little more competitive than people were expecting because the way West Indies have performed in their first couple of games shows that. they are one of the teams that can be considered as uh, as a team that can make it to the semis 
and australia we have the usual suspects england australia and india who most people would back to reach the semi finals so i feel that i feel that england australia and india will make it to the semi finals and the fourth team i am very unsure about it could be any it could be west indies new zealand bangladesh even pakistan uh, it's quite an open world cup i think and even once uh, the semi finals start anything can happen you just have to be better than the opponent on the day so right. i think that i i'm i have i'm making no predictions about who will win or anything right now because i feel that it's a very open and it will be a hotly contested world cup especially in the latter stages right i think uh, come the end of june it will be a really really exciting time if you're a cricket fan because all the matches will be very interesting and a lot yes, will ride on each of them right so let's see how that goes so now uh, if you were to look at a uh, little bit uh, outside the world cup Uh, you told me you've had a chance to be a part of the let's say the media contingent at the PSL so with that in mind and other things uh, what can you tell us some of your pleasant memories when you're covering PSL yeah PSL was a very good experience to be at in terms of uh, in terms of like uh, i'm in karachi so i the national stadium for most of the matches it was completely packed so it uh, the atmosphere was great and it was really pleasing to see a lot of stars coming to to pakistan for cricket and to see good quality cricket being played in a packed stadium something that's not happened in pakistan for a while besides the few matches against world 11 and these uh, the fixtures that we had in between so having eight matches eight psl matches in pakistan at a stretch was a very it was an enthralling experience and i think that pakistan has a lot of potential in terms of uh, what we can achieve if uh, if things if things can improve in terms of uh, firstly the security aspect which will encourage other teams to tour pakistan so that's the first thing that needs to happen the secure it's it's a long it's a long process it's not going to happen overnight that you just uh, have a have a secure country where people are coming to are willing to come and visit you but uh you i think that steps are being taken the right measures are being taken to do that and with that being said i also think that it's very important as we know we there's the pcb has a new administration ever since uh, the government changed in pakistan so ehsan mani right. is the pcb chairman and Wasim Khan has been recruited as the managing director so he's responsible for quite a lot of the new things that are supposed to happen in PCB which include uh, things like uh, a revamp of the domestic cricket system which has been neglected for a very long time and many other things i think there's too many things to discuss here but at the end of the day pakistan has a extremely cricket crazy population because the other sports in pakistan they have over time interest has uh, interest has gone down in most of the other sports like hockey and what what have you so cricket is the one thing that has remained 
in the limelight and sure people do sometimes some of the older generation might lose interest but at the end of the day when you have an india pakistan match on 16th june then you will see that how many people are watching that so the interest in cricket is always there and pakistan has a population of more than 200 million so right. i think that if things were to improve and the situation if pakistan's domestic cricket could uh, could uh, produce cricketers that are of uh, good quality rather than Uh, players coming to the team and having to adapt uh, having to do a lot to adapt to international cricket if that was to improve and things were to improve in terms of the marketing and uh, the sponsors and everything all these things that go hand in hand so for as a cricketing nation pakistan has a lot of potential but it all depends on whether the right steps are taken to make the most of that potential if you, if you don't do that then you can be stuck in a position where you're not getting the where you're not getting the maximum uh, out of out of pakistan as a nation as a cricketing nation a lot of people say that cricket in pakistan is finishing but i don't think that is the case i think that it's being destroyed currently by a very poor system and a very something that's happened that's happened for very for decades really the neglect and what's happened for that has caused it to come to this point so i think the revamp and wasim khan and what he does in terms of uh, changing the outlook for pakistan cricket are very crucial to our future right and i hope he's given the uh let's say the space as well as the opportunities to do that because he brings fresh ideas and uh, from a different system that work right Definitely. so all right thank you very much for your thoughts and your uh, you know opinions and sharing them with us so uh, i would once again say if you have any things that you would like to plug any anything any any of your media work or whatever that you would like to plug here yeah uh, you can follow down the ground uh, we have a website where we have all our latest interviews we have interviews with former cricketers and uh, current cricketers as well so the website is downtheground.com and you can get in touch with us uh, at our social media pages um, down the ground tw on twitter and uh, facebook.com/downtheground that's our facebook page and you can get in touch touch with us on any of these social media uh, outlets if you have any ideas about uh, what we can do going forward and any ideas we have regular episodes and you can listen to those and you can listen to the interviews and just give us your feedback all right thanks a lot once again for being a part of the program abdullah thank you so much for having me all right then going forward let's look at the trivia questions So the trivia question from the previous episode was what is the highest score by a number 8 batter in world cup matches and it was a question that was sort of set to the context because the highest uh, score batting at number 8 by a batter is Nathan Coulter Niles 92 that he made against West Indies in that day's match right as usual we have the right answer from Yogesh our keen listener and supporter he has also provided a very good historical outlook on how batsmen at number 8 have fared in the world cups so the record that nether colton nile broke was that of heat streak who had made an unbeaten 72 against new zealand in the world cup 
Nathan Coulter Niles innings was also overall the joint second highest score from the number 8 position along with Andre Russell who struck an unbeaten 92 against India in the 2011 World Cup with Chris Wokes topping the list with an unbeaten 95 against Sri Lanka in 2016. All right then. The trivia question from this episode is that which current coaching staff member from the Sri Lankan team has previously worked with the Pakistani team. The clue to this is if you have heard Abdullah's section very carefully i think he may have mentioned this name there you could get in touch with us for the answer or to share your thoughts and trivia through our social media platforms for example via twitter at @amchetrickpod or via the facebook page also you could write into us at amchetrickpod@gmail.com as always we would like to say thank you to all our listeners and supporters who listen and also write in with their feedback please do subscribe to us and listen to our podcasts and if possible discuss this with your cricket friends so that you know we can get some more inputs also given that there are multiple matches coming up not to say the least tomorrow's match between australia and india there'll be plenty to look forward to so i hope you do keep listening to our podcasts having said all that it's a goodbye from me and him bye bye you're listening to Armchair Cricket Podcast.